Ladies and gentlemen, we decided on doing something a little bit different this week. We're at the tail end of the season. Things are winding down. We just had both semifinals. We're actually recording right after the Chelsea-Real Madrid semifinal, in which I will go ahead and rewrite history and say Real Madrid went to the final because, sure, I because I, I can. Um, but we decided to record one podcast this week. That's the change because of so many things going on, and especially a lot of them going on midweek. Rihanna is, is just gritting from, like, cheek to cheek no, that right was, now. That was, that was a funny little joke. Yeah, yeah. It was, I, was a I funny mean, little joke you tried to make, covering up for, <laughs> <laughs> covering up for uh, your predictions. Um, my prediction mm. was that Real Madrid would go through. I yes. <laughs> did say, I did say that, but I also did say that Chelsea had if 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 things stayed exactly the same, they would Chelsea would go have a, a really good shot at going through. Uh, which which things very aggressively stayed the same um actually they got worse arguably so <laughs> not even say the same but neither here nor there we're going to talk a little bit about the semifinals from this week in the champions league we're going to talk a little bit about what happened this past weekend in the northwest derby or what didn't happen in the northwest derby and then we'll talk a little bit about the biggest weekend in spanish football probably honestly probably since like 2011 i would say um or 2011, 2012, somewhere in that period. So, Rian, it's been an, it's been an interesting week so far. How are you feeling right at this current moment? I mean, obviously, it's going to be positive because we're literally recording after Chelsea have gone through. Sorry, Real Madrid have gone through to the uh, <laughs> Champions League final. How how you doing? Football aside, how how you doing? Oh oh, yeah. The the soccer side, I'll say I'm doing very well. It's a nice week um the weather has been more or less good and um wow like just a a good week to be able to watch these two um second legs of the semifinals and you know nothing nothing, nothing more to say I, I don't know it's it it's feel like it's actually it's been a, a little too long from the weekend for me to like remember it well enough and have interesting stuff to say um we usually do this on like a Monday or Tuesday. So it's usually fresh in my mind, but uh, the weekends obviously are much better now than they were during the winter, obviously. And also even a lot of last summer because things are opening up here in New York and, and um, Momo is doing his best to distract us from uh, his uh, everyone, everyone forgot. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> allegedly, don't want to get sued. Um, yeah, from his his uh, sticky situation that he's been in for the last few months, he's doing his best to to um, distract us all by telling us about how everything's going to open up soon here. Um, probably overspending for vaccines and making sure that everyone is just out and about in the sun and not on their computers reading about um, his allegations. But <laughs> all of that to say, it, it's it's been a good last few weeks <laughs> in the city. Yeah, that's <laughs> TLDR. <laughs> it's been it's been fine. <laughs> but yeah, no, it makes makes sense. I mean, it's kind of been it's kind of been slowly getting better. Like, I feel like in two months time, everything supposedly will open up in July. Right, supposed. Yeah, but yeah, I think already- Elias though, Elias though. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. I, I, How dare you? You got some, you have some big news <laughs> that from this week too. You started a new job. I did. How are you? How, how is um? How is doing that for a second time this the first day, <laughs> and now having the same pressures that you felt at the beginning of your last job, where like I don't want to fuck up anything, and I really have to pay attention, like very, very intensely. Yeah. And uh, still kind of trying to <laughs> like make good first impressions. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I, my, my manager, my, my actual manager actually just went out on maternity leave and I told her I'd send her the podcast as uh, something to listen to over maternity leave. So I will say very candidly, um, I am loving my new job as a start. Um, <laughs> that is not just pure propaganda, I promise. Um, but no, it's, it's actually, it's just, it's just difficult to start a job over 
Google meets, you know what I mean? It's difficult <laughs> to virtually get coffee with someone and just hang out and have a candid conversation. Cause that, those are the things that you miss when you're sitting at home and then you go from like bed to desk to like dining room table to bed. And yeah, I mean, if I had it my way, sure. I would be in an office hanging out with my team and, and working on, on certain thing, projects, stuff like that. But I'm, I'm really happy and where I'm at. So honestly, it's been a good start to the week, just, week, just super busy. And that's why, uh, but I make, I make time, I make time for you, Rian. So oh, here, here we are. And that's all I care about at the end of the day. Too, so. <laughs> yeah. Well, the time that I make is for, of course, the things that we need to talk about that are super important to us. Um, Rian, I want to start just talking about Manchester City, PSG, a game. No, no, a tie, a tie that saw PSG's last shot on goal in the 28th minute of the first leg. Think about that for a second. Over a game and a half ago is when PSG saw their first shot on target or their last shot on target against Manchester City. Now, that, I feel as though, kind of does a disservice, right? You had Di Maria basically miss what essentially was like an open goal. Um, You had Marquinhos hit the bar, right? You had a potential penalty shout, which was never a penalty. So it's not like, it's not like PSG weren't in this game at times, or in this tie at times, but I think the perfect way to encapsulate this tie is PSG threw away their chances after that first half in Paris. And from there on, that was all she wrote. Yeah, I mean, it. I I think a lot of people have said this, that more or less this tie was, if if this was like a boxing match, right? And we had the four round, and each round was a half. We would have said PSG first, first round easily, like, nine to six versus versus uh manchester city and then the next three rounds were like 10 to seven maybe on city side like honestly and and um they just they just showed more than than psg in every other half of this tie outside of the first one and uh, it's it doesn't make much sense why why they looked so sluggish in that first half and in the first leg against psg but but Neymar was finding a lot more space in that half than he did in the other, oh, how many minutes? A <laughs> hundred, oh gosh. Basically 180, 180 minutes. yeah. 180 minutes of this tie? Does that well, sound right? Well, no. No, 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 no. No, it's, um, 120, it's a little over 120. It's a little over 120. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone do the math. <laughs> it's like 140. It's like 140. It's like 140. Yeah, 140. Something around there. Yeah. 135. Yeah. 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 Anyway. Um, <laughs> 180. Oh my God. Why do we 135, say 135, 135. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, sorry. I'm a little delirious right now. It's a lot has happened today, but yeah, it's, it's um, high on dopamine. Yeah. A hundred, 135 minutes of this tie was controlled by Manchester city. Second half of the first leg uh, PSG sat back and really just never looked like a threat on the counter. Um, and I guess a lot of that obviously has to do with Kylian Mbappe just wasn't fit for either of these two games, if we're being real. Like, even if the first game he didn't register a single shot um, and did not look like he had the same pace that we'd seen in the, in the last two rounds of the, of the competition. But can I, can I say something just quickly yeah. on that point? It's really interesting, the narratives around, like, both of these games. Like, we talk about how much of an impact Mbappe had in their tie against Bayern Munich and especially in the first leg against Barcelona. But there it's like, it's the weirdest dichotomy between Kylian Mbappe is the world's next best player. He's the next, next Messi Ronaldo, right in the corner, the knock around the quarterfinals. And then you get to the semifinals and the reason why <laughs> like they didn't go through is because Mbappe was terrible or didn't play. And it doesn't like it doesn't make sense. There's a recency bias with our the way that I think we analyze, and I say we as like a community analyze yeah. these these ties. So let's not. I just want to point out, like for people that are scapegoating individual players, all of a sudden, like you're just discrediting or giving way too much credit in a lot of instances. I mean, this is how 
this is how soccer Twitter and r slash soccer operates. So, yes. uh, solely, I mean, Alex, you're preaching, to the, you're preaching to the choir in me, but um, I, I know, I know. Unfortunately, outside of the choir, there's this raving mob with pitchforks and torches at all times, ready to burn down whatever church is in its way. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're you're right. Like, it's it's not a this tie hasn't had nothing to do with killing Mbappe's legacy right honestly like at the end of the day this will this will have almost nothing to do with his his legacy and it feels crazy to say that because he's still only 22 but um it will it will have something to do with Neymar's I, I, don't, Neymar's, I don't of course that yeah. is the unfortunate thing right yeah yeah I think it will. It, it, you're, you're especially the second the second leg where look I, I try to be fair to Neymar a lot too so I'll say that in the second leg he especially was isolated and in, and that's a lot of credit to city and um and some discredit to pochettino honestly i i, I said on twitter um and ellis resp- replied to it but i said that um psg tried to jogo benito their way to beating manchester city in the second leg and yeah. and what i and what I, I, Rian, I haven't heard that <laughs> phrase in like almost a decade <laughs> you pulled that out of nowhere but basically what I meant by that was there was so little organization in in PSG's attack honestly for honestly you could say it for the for a lot of the first half of the first leg too I I thought so much of what made them amazing in that in that first half against Manchester City in in um in Paris was the interplay and and Neymar just generally being brilliant like on the ball um with the slicks and dribbles and 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 he was getting through Manchester City and the second half the second half of that obviously the, the game changed and and then this second leg is a bit different too because City's not going to set up the same way and you know all the things that come with with um two-legged ties but I think this game in general there there was just so little organization from the team and, and I think that Honestly, I thought the first half of the second leg, they were actually not poor. I think they, we saw them hit the post once, maybe, uh, I don't think a second time, but once we saw them come, like you said, very close with Di Maria. Um, they, they, they broke through City's lines more than a couple times in that first half, right? And at the end of the day, they could not make the final ball count, right? I think they got to the penalty area and wrong decisions or holding the ball a little too long or there's not enough options. I mean, I don't know what to say about Mario Icardi's performance. Um, I, 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 I'd like to give him the benefit of the doubt in the, in the sense he, that he played. he's a striker. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I didn't see. I, saw, I, I could have swore I saw his name in the starting 11, but I don't, I don't think he was there. <laughs> I, I want to give him the benefit, a slight caveat in the sense where he is very much a poacher and very much not a guy who's going to link the play necessarily. And so that is somewhat of an explanation for, for his general disappearance in this game and kind of comes to another observation from that game where it looked like just PSG was missing a player who was simply going to look to play in Neymar or Cardi, like another another creator on the field, I should say, and 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 I think we both love Marco Verratti, right? Of course, and and wouldn't expect to say anything to to like say anything negative about him in this game, but it was more he seems a bit out of position playing so high. He's played much higher under Pochettino than he has under any other PSG coach. And, and while I, I don't think that he's poor at it at, at that role, right? It's not his natural game, I should say. And, and I think they were missing someone who was going to be a bit more, um, I think, structured in their position. So, so Edinson Cavani. <laughs> well well yeah from from the striker point yeah yeah, yeah. i mean obviously yeah. that's someone who's gonna try to link play and his movement is somehow at his age much much quicker than icardi's which could be a discussion for another day but uh, it, it's 
it, it just seemed like that team still feels not still feels because, because I thought they were great last year in their run to the final. I know we had the caveat that it was one leg and, and everything like that, but they weren't far off of Bayern in the final, right? They had, a, they had a couple chances in that final to even take the lead, but um, they just, they, for whatever reason, during a lot of this run, it's been individuals that have shown for them, not the team not really at any point did I feel like they played well as a team, even in those two legs against Barcelona, obviously the second leg, they were poor, very poor. And on another day, <laughs> you would have a second remontada easily, easily on another day. Um, but even that first leg against Barcelona, it was the Kylian Mbappe show. So they, they just felt disjointed. And, and even the times they played through city, it was, really good link up between like Di Maria, um, Neymar and Paredes who like Paredes, I thought had a very good game, even though the, the team itself wasn't very good, but um, they just miss some sort of structure and Manchester city's back line is too good for teams to, to not have a better plan than what PSG tried yesterday. hundred percent. I mean, you can, Talk about all the plaudits for Ruben Diaz, right? For John Stones. I would specifically highlight Zinchenko in especially the second leg, just being a workhorse. I mean, look how involved he was in the first goal. Ederson's pass, you can, again, no, well, I would I mean, love to talk about it all day. Yeah, sure. That oh, was, my, yeah. That was just scrumptious. But yeah, that, that was, he, played, he played the best pass of, of any of those legs. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. By far. One of the passes of the season. Yeah. Oh, amazing pass. But I would highlight Zinchenko and De Bruyne as kind of, if you're going to highlight Paredes, Di Maria, right, et cetera, from PSG, I'm going to highlight Zinchenko and De Bruyne as my favorite players from this tie. De Bruyne, I think, for the obvious reasons that he is just so aware of his, his spatial surroundings and was able to find the spaces in behind PSG to play in Phil Foden, to play in Zinchenko, to play in uh, Riyad Mahrez. Like he was, he was the linchpin in that, but almost in a way that he was overlooked. Like, I feel like we are not talking about how important he was, especially in City's second goal. When, if you go back and look at the video of him receiving the ball from Zinchenko on the left, he receives it behind him. Like it's like he's in stride and he has to stop control his entire body pull back and then play the the slide roll pass into i believe it was phil foden who then yeah. went on to assist riyad Mahrez. that's world class and i feel as though we're not talking about that enough sometimes and then of course zinchenko for being the offensive presence defensively i, I don't want to talk about it but <laughs> offensively offensively i was really really surprised and like in a, in a positive way at how well he got forward and found space in behind basically what was a hybrid back three for PSG, which just yeah. didn't work. Um, don't know why that was an idea, but yeah, I, I, I have to, to shout out those two city players and it, I'd be hard pressed to say that they aren't favorites in the final. Of course. Of course. I mean, uh, before, like before, <laughs> we're going to get on to the, to the Chelsea Real Madrid second leg, obviously, but, no matter what, City is going to be the heavy favorites going to this. I think I already saw the, the opening odds for them are there, based minus 300, which translates to three to one um, to win. So, you know, that they're, they're going to be the they're going to be the favorites or sorry. I should just say Chelsea was minus 300. Which is three to one. <laughs> yeah, and, and so I was going to say, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm happy for you, but I don't know about that. <laughs> no, no. But, um, sorry. Yeah. Chelsea opened at plus 300 plus 300 at where city opened at minus one one Oh five. So city's yeah. going to be the heavy favorites going into that game, obviously. Uh, and and they've been the best team in Europe all season. This game was just another reminder. And, and I mean, another reminder of, of why, you know, Pep Guardiola at the end of this, at the end of this all, and by this all, I mean, his career will, we'll probably say he was the best manager ever. We'll, we'll say that when he retires, he'll probably be the best manager that we've seen. Um, best coach. I would say best coach, especially best. Well, coach yeah, I mean, if you're seen. Gary Neville, you've already conceded that. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. I, another uh, one. Sh one more shout out for you mentioned his name earlier, Phil Foden. He was 
magnificent. Just like it, these are two unbelievable performances from a twenty-year-old. <laughs> it's unbelievable performances, and I think, I think with these performances and and just his general play in the last four months, he's pushing out established starters in the England starting eleven for for the Euros. I just don't see how you how you don't how he he can't be starting in the first game at the Euros. It, it you can't not start him honestly. So oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. He also like the one like Messi esque run. I don't know if you oh my gosh, what I'm yeah, about, in like the sixtieth minute of the second leg where he just skipped by a combination of I think Verratti yeah. and. I don't know if it was Paredes or someone else. A fly tackle was somewhere in there. He chipped it over. Wait, yeah. he chipped it over him and kept running. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He just just ran right. Th- oh my god, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. So, shout out Phil Foden. I mean, he has if he can keep his head on straight, has a really, yeah. really, really great career ahead of him. Um, it's just exciting to kind of see these new prospects, like almost football yeah. manager esque prospects, come Honestly, up and actually well, the be, Wonder Kids. Right? Yeah, the Wonder Kids become kids. become real strong yeah. world class talents. So. Yeah, well, Rian, why don't we shift focus a little bit to your parade of the day? Um, I will, I will give you as much plaudits as you want because <laughs> for, I can say whatever I want, and at the end of the day, Chelsea are still in the Champions League final in 2021. Thomas Tuchel, by the way, Rian, this is the stat that I wanted to read out to to Rian that I told him about earlier. Thomas Tuchel in four months at Chelsea has beaten Zinedine Zidane. Guardiola, Jurgen Klopp, Simeone twice, Mourinho, and Carlo Ancelotti. And guess what? He has not conceded a single goal in any of those matches. How absurd is that? (laughs) How absurd is that? Insane. I'm, I'm just saying that is, I think, a large part of why Chelsea have been so successful. They have just been rock solid at the back between Rudiger Christensen and some combination of Mendy and the fullbacks. Um, I give more credit to Rudiger and Christensen for just stepping up massively and kind of gaining a, gaining a confidence. I don't even like nothing in their skills that really changed, (laughs) like nothing outside of that, but like they have the confidence. I could see it in Rudiger today. Like I could see he got, he got annoyed when, when a ball, like one of those, I don't know if you saw this, like a ball was played in as a cross and he was like annoyed at Aspilicueta for <laughs> yes, not being yeah, close yeah. enough to his man. Like yeah. that's confidence. Like that is yeah. bold. And I love that. So yeah, there's a, there's I, a good reason. There's a great moment too in the game where um, he wins the ball up pretty high. He, he steps, he steps into the midfield to win a, to win a ball or put pressure on, on one of Madrid's um, midfielders some combination of him and I think Jorginho win it and the balls, <laughs> the balls passed, um, I think out wide to, to uh, Werner and Rudiger, instead of dropping back into the back line, dead sprint runs forward into the space that's just left in Madrid's midfield. And there's like three seconds where you can see he's putting on a hard sprint and he puts his head up in the air. So he's running so hard, his head goes up in the air, and you can see him putting everything into the into the sprint. And um, like Werner, Werner tried to pass it back to him, and he had already tired out. Like he had stopped the run at one point. So um, no, no, a, an absolutely like a great performance from him, and and like you said, from Christensen as well. Those guys basically since Thomas Tuchel has come in. Um, I think confidence is a great word like that. These two looked pretty uh, fallible, I guess, under under Lampard and and looked like they were put in situations that they really couldn't deal with. Um, Can't count the amount of times I feel like last season or even parts of the first half of this season where you were terrified that any of them would be left one on one. And, And now I think a lot of that has to do a lot of the, the change now um, in terms of maybe their confidence in dealing with those situations and generally how they deal with those situations has a lot to do with the change in formation. Um, I think Christensen has looked really good in the middle of that back three, but he has been super impressive playing on the outside of that back three. That's something I did not feel super confident about him being able to do well. And he's done it the last couple of weeks. Uh, and of course, Tiago Silva, like, that's 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 the other side of this right um 
a guy who at 36 still makes everything look so, so casual and it's probably very hard to quantify the um the effect but he's had some massive effect on this on those other center backs that play with him he's had whatever it is i don't know with no clue how to quantify it experience don't uh, leadership don't call in uefa uefa for random drug tests you can say he's had whatever but just be careful guy sleeps in a cryo chamber it's okay it's okay (laughs) that's title of the podcast cryo chambers (laughs) (laughs) but um yeah, he's had an immense effect on the on the back line, and that's that's been obvious these last four months. Um, I mean, in the Premier League, no one's conceded. The only team that's conceded as many goals or fewer is, is Manchester City and during the time um, that Tuchel has come in. And what he's done, not only in the back, the back three, back five at times, um, what he's done there has been amazing, but obviously what you're seeing from midfield to attack now like today Chelsea battered Real Madrid this was this was a more complete performance this is the most complete performance of the season from them honestly building and, and off of the first leg by the way which off I the first leg was the, the most complete one yeah yeah and, and and that I mean we said that first that first half especially of that first leg was was basically Chelsea Karen Benzema Right, like that's he, he was the reason. It, it almost, it it almost was, like, yeah. It almost was again. Um, I mean, yeah, tonight, yeah, but not not nearly as much. I mean, Real much, expected yeah. goals were under one. Yeah, so he was he was he had their two best chances of the game. Right, that first un, like unbelievable shot, unbelievable touch and turn and shot from Benzema, and then an unbelievable save from Mendy, and then um, he had a second shot, which was just an unbelievable ball played by Modric. And then, a, and then a great save from Mandy. Not quite as good as the first one, but a great save nonetheless um, against Benzema. So it, 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 was, it was a complete game. And, and, and who knows? Like, if, if these Chelsea players were like two years older and maybe a, and maybe a bit more composure in front of, um, in front of goal, they, could, they win this game like 5-0. And it's and it's way more. Oh yeah, this this was not this was not close in any way. I mean, Chelsea's expected goals what three point six, three point five. I think unbelievable. Yeah, they yeah. had so. Here's the thing, they had so much space in yeah. behind Real Madrid's back line, which, by the way, Sergio Ramos should have <laughs> not started this game. Yeah, I mean, I, it, yeah. Whenever we want to get onto the Madrid part of this, I mean, <laughs> well, no, let's let's because like this is what I want to focus on for Madrid. A, Sergio Ramos should not have started this game. That's like point number one. Agreed. Point B, why Zidane argues for having wing backs against a team that you know a player like N'Golo Kante is going to expose that space in between the midfield and your fullback? dragging your center backs out of position, leaving space in behind for Pulisic, leaving space in behind for Kai Havertz, leaving space in behind for Timo Werner. Why he did that and still simultaneously won three Champions Leagues in a row, I will never know. I will literally not know the answer to that question because a change should have been made after 30 minutes. Like, (laughs) it was so open for Chelsea to attack those half spaces. I it, it like physically pained me to see that. I mean, it didn't because it was Real Madrid, but it physically pained me to see that from a tactical <laughs> point of view. And I can't get past why he did that. That Madrid were poor. Madrid were extremely poor, which gives me hope, which is a really bad thing for you know them to drop points against Sevilla. But again, <laughs> for the purpose of this game, I'm not even going to highlight the midfield, which I thought was average. I'm just going to highlight the back line and the tactical setup. It was shockingly bad. And Vinicius, by the way, as a pseudo right wing back, God awful decision. He's yeah. never played there. He's never played there, by the way, just speaking, he's never played there on the field nor in training. Yeah. So take that for what it's worth. I, I, I want to say that Zidane did that, did it again, did um, by did, I mean, put, Vinny at, at the right wing back and and played that back three again. 
for the same reason that he played in the first, the first half was just to match up with Chelsea. And past that, I can't quite tell what their um what their plan to attack Chelsea was. And I, I think in a somewhat similar sense to um PSG, the gosh, Real Madrid would have loved having a uh, prime Mesut Ozil, right, playing in this team today to fully be able to play. Like, it seemed like the, the only way that they could really pose a threat to Chelsea's back line was coming at them with some sort of speed or, or some sort of counter, and which a healthy Eden Hazard, a fully healthy, fully fit, match fit Eden Hazard would would be very devastating. And we know Karen Benzema can do it. And there was, there is unfortunately no player on Madrid's team right now who can supply those two, right? And this is not to say that Tony Cruz and or Luka Modric don't have the capacity to be able to do that, right? But that's not the role that uh, they're that they have played for Madrid in, in their entire career at Madrid, honestly. So it it would be crazy to try to play the one of them as like the actual number 10 right and um and they wouldn't do the same they wouldn't have the same effect that they do further back in the midfield but on a on a general sense going back to what you're saying about the players that played in this game right we're talking about guys who have not played in weeks we're talking about Furlan Mendy who has not played a game in Ellie's here, you have to correct me if I'm wrong, but at least a month. A month, yeah, a month. Right? And it, it's it's too much risk, honestly. Um, it's too much risk for a, from a Madrid point of view to play Sergio Ramos, Ferland Mendy, uh, Eden Hazard, who, granted, he, he started in his first game in off like most of the season i don't even know how i don't i actually don't know the timestamp on how long he was since, since early starts. fall but i mean like november maybe yeah yeah started his first game over the over this past weekend since the fall and um and and then he brings on for for of um Fede valverde who to his credit made a unbelievable block on on N'Golo Conte um running from a far distance to try to get a block on that on that shot but again, not not very effective there. And at, at the kind of crux of it, like Madrid looked as the game went on, worn. I, I and not and not. Uh, I, it, it's hard to say mentally because it's weird to say that this Madrid team with these players could look mentally worn. But I think that over the course of these two legs, and then especially in that second half. Chelsea were on them so so much and they made life hell for for their midfielders and the speed that Chelsea would break at them I I think it did kind of mentally wear them out at some point right and and all of the misses from Chelsea where me as a Chelsea fan getting very nervous because you know that things can change in a moment especially with the players that Madrid have it didn't seem like there was ever a reaction from the Madrid team. That's what was the most surprising thing for me. Yeah, no, that's, that's the, you hit on the really, really good point. And I'll say before we go to a break, like not having that reaction from Real Madrid is the first time I've seen that in a very long time. Like they're considered the Kings of Europe for what they did in the last seven years because of their ability to win games at the tightest moments. And it felt like that, mental capacity the physical capacity everything just came to a halt in this game I think they were overrun by Chelsea and I think that's a big part of it but at the same time I can't help but like just get past the fact that I feel like they just completely just were not up to the challenge and that that seems rare for Real Madrid now we'll talk about after the break but I'm very curious to see how that bleeds into Sevilla over the weekend because in the same way that you remember back two months ago where Liverpool and the Classico and then Liverpool again was a season-defining window for them. Well, I think you're seeing that now again where you had both Chelsea legs and now you have their game against Sevilla to kind of decide, is it realistic that they can win a title this season? 
big big weeks for coming up for them a big sorry big big weekend and it'll be a big big weekend for spain in general as i think we will also touch on after the break for sure for sure yeah rian let's uh let's take a break you go celebrate um your your victories for the time <laughs> being until you get smacked on may 29th and then uh we'll talk a little bit about the northwest derby and how it didn't happen and then everything going on in spain all right ladies and gentlemen we are back we're going to talk a little bit about the the game that never was or will not be until i believe it's now rescheduled to next week or sometime in there rian united liverpool yeah yeah for um I guess to start to start there, United, it's been rescheduled into a part of the season where United are going to be playing four games in seven days. Yeah. Yeah. That's absurd. And they're not, they're not easy games, by the way. They're not like it's uh, it starts with Roma this Thursday. And then I believe Lester somewhere in there on the, on the, um, I think Saturday on the middle of the week, the middle of the week next week, and then Liverpool next Thursday. So (laughs) <laughs> um there's one more game in there that i'm missing aston villa next villa Sunday. so four four games for manchester united in in seven days is not how they would have liked this protest to um <laughs> turn out if it, i mean definitely none of the players would have but you know as we've said about uefa and generally every footballing federation it's fuck the players <laughs> but um if, from from the protest this past weekend, which is which is what we wanted to talk about, um, Sunday Manchester United fans, hundreds of them. I, I don't. I think on NBC they were saying thousands. I think that might have been slightly much. I think there. I, I think it was maybe half a thousand. Um, but still, a lot of people. We should say, uh, protested outside of um, Old Trafford about glaze about the Glazers once again not the first time for for these fans have um protested against the glazers but anyway the protests turned into fans somehow getting in the stadium and fans getting on the field like a couple hundred fans at least it was not small yeah <laughs> um on the on the field with flares with their glazers out signs with some of them brought their own balls and scored in the training nets. Um, <laughs> Good for them. Yeah, Actually, I take that back for <laughs> apparently legal reasons. But yes, yeah, you know. yeah. <laughs> well, don't worry. I, I think I think you're just out of the jurisdiction. So <laughs> um, no, but but I, I think what, more what we want to talk about is is kind of why this happened and and why this is not this was not about the Super League. Like this was not about the Super League, and I think to get the full scope on like what this is about, you have to go back to the sale of Manchester United in 2005. And what I think maybe a few people may not know is why the Glazers were involved at all um, in the sale of Manchester United. And this goes back to basically an argument or a disagreement that uh, Sir Alex Ferguson had with one of the former majority or partial, uh, yeah, minority slash minority owners, I think, but, but um, sorry, controlling share. I totally wrong and all that controlling majority share owner of Manchester United. Uh, there was a disagreement between them because they both owned the same horse stable and long story short, there was a big argument over the rights over certain, a certain horse or two of their semen and the breeding rights and what happened is Sir Alex Ferguson got into such a horrible personal relationship with this person that end up selling or having to sell their, their a lot of their shares and that's how the Glazers came in to buy uh by way of shares and also loading debt onto uh, Manchester United we're able to buy the club and from that point every almost every Manchester United fan were hugely hugely vocal in their protests against 
the Glazers becoming their owners. And so this isn't something that's going back to 2005. Even at that point, there were protests about the Glazers. And then you fast forward 2010, even more. So much to the point that there are a group of Manchester United fans that started their own club that is disassociated with the Manchester United you know now. They wear the colors of green and gold. And they, they're under a, a completely different holding company. And uh, I believe they're called like United Manchester. And it just has, it's just more of a, um, more of a building block for what happened this past weekend, right? And when I say that it has nothing to do with the Super League, the Super League has obviously become, as I think many people are, are saying now, a seminal moment, obviously, in, in modern European soccer history. But even bigger because of what the fan reaction has has turned into. It has turned into a jumping off point for fans who are upset with their owners to really have a reason to mobilize honestly and i think we've seen that obviously from the clubs in england um specifically manchester united arsenal and chelsea and and it's something that maybe should have happened years ago um not not maybe something that should have happened a long time ago and something that has been protested against in manchester united case for 15 years now and ultimately what it is is fans wanting to have a say on their club and I think well I guess let's just say I hope that this all leads to fans from those local clubs actually having some sort of significant um, influence on not the transfers or the or you know the, the coaches or anything like that. Oh my that, god! Right? Let let Twitter pick the transfer targets for Manchester <laughs> let United. Let, let them pick the subs. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, no, I, I I'm hoping that that in terms of you know large scale high level decision making um, in terms of when specifically speaking about things like a Super League leaving your leaving your current uh european competition to find new revenue streams is probably something that the fans should at least in the least in the least be um at least told about <laughs> prior, <laughs> prior yeah, it, yeah. It, it, but um i i think what hopefully happens going forward is is that but it it, it just should be said that this is this is a buildup of things this is a buildup of, of anger. Um, and I think we'll be seeing more of it. I don't think the United protests will stop. And I don't think the Arsenal protests will stop. I think the Chelsea protests will probably stop because there's a much different relationship between the fans and the owners there. And to the point of this protesting stuff does work, Chelsea two days ago released a statement that there'll be having three supporters on their board going forward now and and it'll be something that's chosen through elections through supporters groups and and whatnot but that is a a step in the right direction and while those supporters will not have votes in terms of the board they will be attending every board meeting going forward and that's just a step forward a good step forward but a step that should be almost the minimum for most of these clubs, as, yeah. especially when you talk about how they are so ingrained into the communities that they play in. Yeah, that, that was going to be my caveat, honestly, because like, while that is a good step in the right direction, I feel like we're all kind of like us, oh, like giving a standing ovation to that. Like, oh, it was like groundbreaking and like, oh, wow, Chelsea solved all the problems, which they made a massive step towards the right, you know, the right move, but they didn't 
solve cancer you know what i mean like it's like <laughs> yeah, I, they yeah. they clearly none of this matters nearly to that extent no obviously course. but yeah, I'm, I'm being hyperbolic but i'm <laughs> yeah, saying yeah. like in the context of the super league and like decisions like this they basically hit the bare minimum and everyone's like oh wow chelsea did this one amazing thing in reality it's like more appeasement than anything right now and there's more that's needed so yes i, I think that's where a lot of the the frustration for united comes from because they are not owned by people that have a stake in what the fans have it's completely different incentives so i mean it's kind of uh, ironically it's kind of similar with liverpool but they're run by a competent manager so and they have good sporting direction and there's a project right. there but and, and not, a different relationship with their yeah. owners as well I, I think still I think um when you talk about the fact that Manchester United had a Q&A um supposed to be a Q&A with the executives after the Super League to speak with the fans the fact none of the Glazers showed up and Joel Glazer didn't even read his own apology. He had some one of his lackeys read his apology to the fans in a Zoom call. Like they, they this was, wasn't even this wasn't asking for him to show up to Manchester. We know that would never happen. This is not him having to actually face the fans. We know that would never happen. The the bare minimum: show up on your computer screen and read your own letter. I, and why I say I think that's a different relationship between Liverpool and their and their owner on um, John Henry. Yeah, you know, again, this is all bare minimum stuff. He at least recorded himself say with his apology and and didn't look like he was reading off a letter. To be fair to him, but either way, bare minimum communication with your fans, and that's where the United protest is really just a buildup of anger towards something that's that is so ingrained in the lives of those manchester um citizens so ingrained to the extent where thousands of them have stopped supporting the club and started a different club that that will never reach the heights of of the club that they grew up loving but they at least know that it's theirs and then that's what kind of this is all about and and so what it's what the backlash of the super league was always about too right we said it, it this sport is doesn't belong to the, the the not top one percent the top point oh 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 one percent like that's that's this sport and sports as a whole does not belong to to just the people that can afford to organize it yeah that's you basically hit the nail on the head the uh you know the, the oil countries and the people that make pretty big decisions and have all the buying power sadly are the ones that run the sport um but i think that's where yeah again, we know that's the reality yeah unfortunately but unfortunately. But, th- but that's where the frustration for united fans come f- comes from that's i think how it was right communicated you know i think the slogan for that club by the way is something like green and gold till the club is sold or something something like that um which again it just sh- it shows you the limits of how exactly fans feel about the sport and there's a very very close appreciation for it being fan run or club or i should say member owned in some ways um yeah i i think there's a lot of work that united and and liverpool and and those sort of teams need to do but it's almost ironic how like city and psg right same concept but their owners bought those teams solely so they could win like right. titles. Like, you know what I mean? Like they, right. it's almost aligned incentives. And, the- and, and we should, and we should throw into the, the, not just from those two, I'll throw, throw in Chelsea, of, of course, too, with Roman Abramovich. Um, it, part of it is sports washing, right? It, it's, it's yeah. washing the, it's, it's kind of like a magic trick, a uh, uh, look here while there's something else going on um, in the background with, with how those um, individuals have their money and what they do with it as well, of course. But um, again, just from a United standpoint, like we know that this is not, this is not just, this is not just because they spent 50 million pounds on Fred, right? <laughs> like this is not, I, I should say this is not only because of that. Um, no, this is not because of like transfer policy. Right? It's it's deeper than that. It's it's having people who run your club that 
actually care about it not people that use it as you know as my dad has explained as my dad says as a cash cow like as just something to keep something to just keep the money flowing and and invest absolutely zero point zero zero dollars into it yourself right and and that's where it comes from united like they they can afford all of these players on revenue alone they don't need any help of course right but it doesn't mean that they should also just accept that there's someone who's taking money from the club for the pure reason of just having it of just having the money of of um using it as like a, as a credit facility honestly so you know, I hope I hope that there is some sort of change for the United fans, and, and who knows if all of this will lead to change in ownership structures in England. We know that their government has started to get involved in this, and could mean could mean very different ownership structures in a couple of years here. But even if not in the short term, it could mean, and what it you might hope it means is that in the future, you know, clubs are not purchased um and and owned in this fashion or or in a fashion that almost has nothing to do with the product itself right yeah i think you hit the nail on the head um i don't have much else on united liverpool but if you want rian we can move over just briefly to touch on the fact that the biggest weekend in spain in a very long time is coming up and that's the last thing i've got um i'm slightly honestly, I'm too stressed to talk about i'm like i just i can't yeah <laughs> it's like, like just just the slightest bit ruined by sevilla's loss on monday to know, uh, athletic bilbao it would have put us in a situation where all four teams um sevilla real madrid barcelona and atletico madrid would have gone into this weekend just separated by three points would have put us in a potential position where any one of them could have been first after the weekend. Now, no longer the case as Sevilla sits six points off of first and, and probably is, is done in terms of the title race. Um, again, unless some, unless this weekend works out perfectly for them and there's an Atleti draw and they beat um, a Sevilla beats Real Madrid. So either way, a great weekend coming up from spain and and elias i know you said that you are you are nervous but i i'll 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 ask this um if there is if barcelona were to draw or even even no i I think i think it's a must not lose i I should say in terms of winning the title but if barcelona were to draw and and even real madrid were to win I still don't think that's a um, that's not an untenable situation. I'll say it's okay. It's not, but there's a psychological element to this where, in any situation where Real Madrid win, it's already very very difficult. Even if Barcelona win, so Real Madrid still have to play Sevilla, obviously, and then Granada, Bilbao, and Villarreal. I think their last two games are going to be. Those are difficult. tough. Those are tough games. That, those are end the season. Those are tough games to end the season for sure. But let's not let's not think that they can't win. Of those course, games. of course, they'll be and favored in both. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But at the same time, do you then the second point part of this is do you have the confidence that Barcelona can go on and also win? Right at the same time, more points in that situation that you just described than Real Madrid. I don't know if that's the case irrespective of who they play. I don't know if that's the case because it requires Real Madrid losing. And that's that's not a bet that I'm willing to make. So right now, right, you have Atletico on 76 points, which we, <laughs> we seemingly discount. Yeah, I was going to say, not to discount time. them, right? Yeah, <laughs> I know, I know. I'm really, really trying not to, really trying yeah. not to. I know that it's very easy to talk about just Barcelona and Real Madrid. Um, not to discount Atleti, but uh, it... it I, I will say that almost no matter what happens this weekend, none of these teams should feel out of it because none of these four teams 
maybe with the exception of Real Madrid in the last couple of weeks, have looked like have looked like they're going to go out and take the title away from any of the others. Right. So so I think even after this weekend, I think we're still in store for maybe one last big twist um, in terms of results. I, I agree with that. I kind of agree with that. It's just, uh, I don't want to be in a situation where if I'm a Barcelona fan, obviously I don't have to, I don't want to have to rely on someone else. And that is, uh, that's not, a, I don't like that situation. Like, I don't know how La Liga planned this, this weekend to play out, but it was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm just really dreading it because Atletico could beat Barcelona. Let's be honest. They could take points off them too. But if they don't, Barcelona are in a great spot. Real Madrid, Sevilla, however, I am less sure about who wants to take that game. Sevilla just lost to Bilbao in a last-minute Yaki Williams goal, which, again, beautiful counterattack and all. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But Sevilla were pushing in that game, as as you would expect them to do in a title race at that point. Like, they're, I I, I won't fault them too much for not at all losing the game. But not at all. I don't fault them at all, but I do worry about kind of the fragility of the team. Right. right. And I also, I also worry about it. Well, <laughs> worry is not the right word, but I worry about it from the point of view of Real Madrid too, after coming off of this massive, massive defeat against Chelsea. Ah, where I just, I, I'm sitting here just explaining my headspace because I right. genuinely <laughs> don't know what to expect this weekend. I can sit here and tell you, oh, I'm confident Barcelona are going to win. I think that this and this is going to happen. I'm confident that Sevilla or Real Madrid might take the points here because of this, this, and this. But because of A, the inconsistency from, I would argue, all four teams in the last month. No, even better, yeah, the last two or three weeks. That doesn't give me confidence that I know what's going to happen. I don't know what version of which team is going to show up. I have a little more faith that Barcelona will beat Atletico than I do Real Madrid beating Sevilla. But yeah, I don't know I, if I any of those. I, yeah, I just don't know if any of these results are guaranteed. So l- let's put it this way, Rian. If Atletico beat Barcelona or even take points, I would argue, from them over the weekend, I think Atletico's title chances boost pretty significantly. If Barcelona win... I think Barcelona's chances boost significantly, almost irrespective of what happens in the other game. But again, if Real Madrid win against Sevilla, then I think you're looking at a situation where it's pretty somewhat even between the big two in Spain. And then if Sevilla take points off Real Madrid and Barcelona win, then Barcelona are again back in the driver's seat. So there's yeah. so many, like, again, there's okay, so okay. many of these. So, so let's, so before, before we head out of here, Let's get the predictions after the end of this weekend in which Atletico Madrid, Barcelona and Real Madrid are all separated by three points or sorry, two points, Barca and Real sitting on 74 with Atleti on 76. What does the top three look like after this weekend? Who's in first, second, third? After, After this weekend, I think the table will go. Real Madrid, Barcelona, Atletico, Sevilla. I think Real Madrid beat Sevilla, and I think Barcelona beat Atletico. And then I think the last three remaining games, really, for for these teams decide the title. And I think, honestly, it might come down to the last day. It might come down to the very last match day, May 23rd. I think every single La Liga game, I don't, don't quote me on this, but I think every single La Liga game that day is at the same time. So we would yeah. know... Yeah, we will know on uh, on May twenty third what uh, what happens. So nice. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say it'll be after this weekend. I think it'll, it goes Barca, Atleti, Real. I'm gonna say a Barca win and Madrid drawing with Sevilla. Oh, interesting. So leaves us leaves us that would leave us with the team still separated by just three points or sorry two <laughs> points. Yeah, but in a different configuration. Oh man, it's gonna come down to the last day either way. Like whatever, <laughs> whatever we could talk about, the, like how the different formulas and everything spit out. The but permutations, it's come, permutations. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> however, it's gonna get spit out. It's gonna come down to the last day. That's how exciting La Liga is, man. That's that's what's going on. <laughs> so much more entertaining hey. than England, but 
yeah, I'll, I digress. <laughs> so much more entertaining than than they were in the Champions League, unfortunately. Too. Well, but, on that note, but... right. <laughs> cool. No, that's fine. I'm not bitter. All right. Well, on that note, ladies and gentlemen, thank you as always for lost listening, 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 and uh, we will talk to you guys after this weekend's games in Spain, and obviously after the Ch- City Chelsea game over the weekend as well. A preview of the Champions League final. So, talk to you guys soon. Thanks, guys. Thank you.